Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast. We are back. Brian Olson here with, of course, my partner, John Lester. How are you, sir? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. And how are you? I hear we have an interesting guest with an accent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she is the embodiment of the American dream, came over here at a young age to stake her claim, right? She invests in herself and now she's inspiring others through her podcast and her business. And her name is Romina Muhammadaj. Is that right, Romina? Did I pronounce it okay? You got it. Yep. Romina. Hi. (laughs) Hello. So some background on Romina. She is the founder of 6-7 Radius, a consulting firm that helps companies grow by building one-of-a-kind marketing strategies and sales techniques. And she's the host of Coffee with Romina. She also holds the president chair for FSCJSHRM student chapter. And recently, Romina launched NEFL, I assume that's Nebraska, Florida, Negotiation Club. Now, she moved to America at just 17 years old by herself intending to pursue her American dream and her accomplishments, talk about her stubbornness on her goals continuously. Now, often she talks about her American journey has been a roller coaster, but Romina has a power to keep a positive attitude over every situation and analyze everything with the, how can I make this better? And what can I learn from this mindset? Romina, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. How's everybody doing? Excellent. But I, Brian, I think that maybe it was the Northeast Florida Negotiation Club. I don't yeah, think she's in Nebraska, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, Northeast it's, uh, Florida. <laughs> yeah, Northeast. Yeah, you see, you, you have to write these things out for me, or I'm just going to read them verbatim, uh, Romina. <laughs> well, I thought Nebraska was more interesting than Northeast Florida, but we're not going to go there. Okay. Yeah, I really, I I really want to the... see now. If there's a city called Nebraska in Florida, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah, I thought it was like a connection between like the Midwest to the, you know. <laughs> the east i'm like maybe there's something here i don't know this is interesting so yeah <laughs> thank you for clearing that up i appreciate it so what is that Romina? real quickly what just let's take a quick segue what is a negotiation club so besides being a club where we negotiate <laughs> it's actually founded from philip brown it's a negotiation institute based in london and we have international students where philip brown actually the founder he created this negotiation cards which are really amazing And they come with different stages. So the first stage would be a set budget. Uh, The second stage would be a budget and a tactic. And the third stage would be a budget and multiple tactics. And how you separate those is into buyer's cards and seller's cards. So for instance, if, you know, John and Brian, you guys were negotiating right now. John, you can be the buyer and Brian can be the seller. I will show you one card and Brian would get the other card. And you guys have to negotiate with one another without knowing what's the budget for each party. You have three minutes to negotiate and see if you can get to an agreement. And at the end of it, you're going to try to find out what was the tactic that the other person was assigned and try to see if you how do you feel about the whole negotiation without knowing their budget. So this way we'd be able to do a lot of practice. And then once you see the budget, you're like, oh, I need to improve my negotiation because I, you know, I left a lot of money on the table or I did really good because I got a lot more uh, compared to their break even. So, so it's is, a lot of practice that we do for in the club for that. Is it primarily students? Um, it's students. Um, it's professionals of different careers. We uh, do every other two, uh, every other Thursday for uh, for our chapter, and we have a speaker that comes from a negotiation world. We actually have next week uh, somebody coming and talking about emotional intelligence in negotiations, and it would be a different uh, different attendees really. Interesting. 
Okay. All right. Didn't didn't mean to completely throw you off course there, Brian, but that's it's always fascinating when we when we find some of our guests doing things that we just haven't heard about or thought about before. No, I love it. I know that uh, Romina, you're a negotiation expert. We'd love to dive into that, but would but first would love to understand how you came to make the decision to move to America to begin with. I know you come from Albania. When was that moment when you knew I have to go to America and uh, find my fortune there? Absolutely. So the great Albania, right? Um, I was born and raised there. And my mom was one of the lucky winners for the diversity visa program. It's the DV program through USCIS. So what essentially is, is foreign citizens can apply for it. And it's a two round process, which lasts about two years. And it's a randomly selected. Uh, once you put one family member can put their whole household members in it. So my mom won the green card process through that. And therefore, me, my brother, and my my mom, my dad won the green card too. So in 2005, we first came to America to receive the green cards, the social security, all that fun stuff. But they had business back home. So we did the kind of like the back and forth just to keep the paperwork for a minute. But I always loved America. I don't know. I just felt like it was kind of like at home feeling for me, even first time I visited. So I wanted to move here. And my my dad actually was able to find a foreign exchange program for me to move here when I was still under 18. That way, I moved here at 17 years old. My senior year high school, I lived with a host family. And then after May, I graduated high school. June, I turned 18. And I've just stayed here ever since. It's amazing. It's great. And I know your father had a big influence on you early on. He had a lot of different businesses. And I know that you followed him around and he influenced you. Maybe talk a little bit about the influence he did have on you, what you learned from him and how you parlayed that into your ventures here in America. Absolutely. So both of my parents actually had business back home. Uh, there were, my mom was a CPA, so she did the accounting. She held, you know, different clients, their whole accounting process, deal with taxes, IRS system like it's here. But my dad was more the face-to-face business compared to mom just being on the back end. So my dad actually had a business that would sell construction items. And the construction items would be coming from Egypt, from Croatia, or from different manufacturing companies all over Albania. So over summertime, I used to just hang out with him or even during regular school years, he would say, hey, you're not going to school tomorrow. You're coming with me in a business fair because I need an assistance from an extra person. And you already know what I sell. You already know the prices, know the process. So this way I would be his pretty much like on-call assistant during my school year. And then over summertime or weekends, I would work with him. So what we would do is go business to business and negotiate prices such as bricks, tiles, you know, any construction thing, white cement, because construction is very different back home. It's not like Alba- like America. So we would shingles like his truck, his back of his truck would be literally different products. So we used to go business to business and we would go down and negotiate to the bottom of if you pay pre-production, post-production, pre-transportation, post-transportation, we would be able to get down to the nitty gritty, even to the penny, because one break times, you know, a full truckload of it or times 10 trucks sometimes, that's how you'd be able to get a lot of cash up front. So this way you also increase the cash flow and you don't lock your own capital. So following my dad, since at a very young age, since 13 years old, pretty much doing that every summer on the weekends, or even when I wanted extra money just to go on a trip, he would have me do extra assignments. Or sometimes he would just throw me there and say, hey, you go ahead and pitch this business person. Or, hey, you go ahead and do this for me. And I grew up around that culture. And without realizing it, that's what really B2B sales is. So when I moved to America, my very first sales job, 
it was car sales. And I, without realizing it, I already knew all the tactics, how to talk to people, how to negotiate, how to do this, how, how to pretty much close the deal. I didn't realize I learned that from my dad's experience and then later start reflecting on all what my dad pretty much told me at a very young age, which I'm super grateful for, honestly. Yeah, no, absolutely. So your first job was in sales when you arrived in America? Yes. Um, my first job, well, my first job was food and beverage while I was in college at the time. But um, yes, my officially first corporate job was car sales. I used to work for Rick Hendrick Automotive Group um, selling Toyota cars. And till this day, I still don't know nothing about cars, which is interesting. <laughs> but I know tell you the trims, the made model, all that fun stuff. And I know how to sell. <laughs> but if you ask me about engine, transmission, how a car function, I don't know nothing about that. But I can do numbers. I can work numbers for you. <laughs> That's awesome. So negotiating was your bread and butter when it came down to selling cars. Yes, absolutely. That and I'm really big into creating relationships. And I'm not the sales pushy person that would just try to make a deal for you and then just move on to the next thing. Whatever I sell, whatever sales, you know, industry I've worked so far, it's always creating their relationship. And if something is just not work for working for you, I will not push a product for you. I will tell you, hey, you can go this route or this route. And I find my morals and my, you know, my morals have to always align with what I sell because tomorrow I don't want you to hate the whole industry just because of Romina. Try to, you know, get a sale and just get a commission for a month. So I'm always striving to create those amazing relationships too, because if you think about it, that's how you also create amazing referral system as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. Do you think that, you know, coming from another country, you, know, you always hear this with immigrants, they have such a great work ethic because you really appreciate the opportunity in front of them. Do you find this to be mostly true where in certain situations that hustle beats talent when talent doesn't hustle, like maybe selling cars, you may have outworked some of the other employees there. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you this, I'm not a special talented person, but I will, uh, I'm a very hardworking person. So definitely hard work beats talent. I can sit here and work, you know, nonstop, but you might have the talent that with one work, you pretty much will outdo me. But guess what? You're going to be lazy or you're going to feel entitled because you have such a talent. And I'm over here going to overdo what you, you know, what you normally do because I've learned X, Y, or Z that you, you're not learning, you're not practicing. And also immigrants have seen what a life is like back home that you have a ceiling and you cannot go further than what you're supposed to. Or if you do go further, that's when it get, at least in Albania, I can talk for Albania, it's very politically driven. So if you're not supporting one party, your business is going to fail. Like there's no jokes, there, there's no games. You need to openly support one side of the business. And here in America, with as much as politically you know, divided we are right now, we still, once you work really hard and you prove yourself, you will be able to succeed. It's up to you. It's not up to what X party says or the other party says. So even though, unfortunately, we are divided in America, there is worse out there. And I've experienced that in Albania. Why do you think certain Americans are so lazy? I don't think it's more lazy as much as it's they're used to a norm. So the norm in America is work your nine to five. At least I'll, I'll talk for the average job, right? It's work nine to five, pay your bills and just just live life and wait till you retire. And then, you know, consume your retirement, your 401k, 
or maybe hate your job because you never got promoted, even though you never applied for the promotion or never worked hard to get the promotion. And they haven't seen another lifestyle. They haven't seen a lifestyle, for example, where you see working your parents working nonstop and not even being able to pay your bills. And this is not all the Americans out there, too. This is the majority of Americans, because if you really notice the people, the entrepreneurs, the people that are very successful in their life, they came from struggling families and they wanted to be that, you know, the breaking point to change the path of their family's history. So whenever you're living in the medium, I would say, you're just kind of staying stagnant in there. But if you've seen very extreme, very poor, you definitely want to break out of that that zone and you definitely want to try something more. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, Romina and John, before we jump into your business, 6-7 Radius, I know when you came to America, you met somebody, right? You didn't meet somebody back in Albania. You met him in America. And I know you're on record talking about the fact that you had this relationship and of course, ended in divorce at a very young age. We'd love to talk about the situation, how you found yourself in that situation, what ultimately led to the demise of the relationship, of course, what you learned from that moving forward. You listened to my 100th episode, didn't you? (laughs) 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 Um, Last week, we launched the 100th episode from my podcast, which I had a friend interview me. And yes, I did talk about it. Often, sometimes, whenever we feel very lonely, um, especially if I was very homesick, I felt like a good support system would be a relationship at that point, which is understandable. It happens every time. And that's nothing wrong with that. But whenever you are at the low point that you just want that support, you get it at the moment. And it's that addiction feeling, the addictive feeling at first. But without realizing it, I end up finding myself in a very emotionally abusive relationship to the point that I couldn't do nothing. Like if I said something, I was stupid or I was dumb. If I did something was what the heck was I thinking about it? I dropped out of pharmacy school. So I was always a loser, even though I worked 70, 80 hours of you know, a week, sold 25 to 30 cars a month, made a lot of money at 21, 22 years old. It was still never enough till one moment that I, well, the breaking point was him cheating on me, which in my, you know, in my morals, I find that you equaling me with zero, at least that's my opinion. So that was my last draw and I packed my stuff. Um, I got my little puppy and I moved to Florida because I used to live in Atlanta at that time. It was not easy. It was definitely a learning curve. I call myself, like I say, that was the 2.0 version of Romina was born. And I felt like I pressed the reset button of myself, kind of starting over everything at 17 when I very first moved to America. But I'll tell you this, as hard as that period of time was for me, and sometimes when I talk about it, it feels like I'm talking about somebody else's story, not even my story, which is kind of weird. But I'm very grateful that happened because I'm the person that I am today because of what I went through. I know what it's like to be at the rock bottom. I know what it's like to have $3 in your account for months, not even be able to go outside living off your parents for a couple of months because you're so broke emotionally, mentally, that you cannot do nothing else but, you know, just drink all day. So I've been there. And then I had a wake up call that I had to just take charge of my own life and take my life direction to a whole nother place. And that's what I did. And that was my 24th birthday that I decided to take my life to a whole nother path. And I'll be 29 in a couple of months. So I think it's been going good. So what what was the seminal lesson? When you had that wake up moment, what did you walk away from? 
you know, what, I what- had to respect myself, no matter who I had in front of me, I had to respect myself to raise my voice on what I thought was right and what was wrong. And if I cannot have a conversation and be respected, then unfortunately, I'm in the wrong environment and I have the wrong people around me. So I need to change my environment. Just like you would change the environment for a flower that's been staying in the dark and is never blossoming. If you put it in the sun, it will blossom. So that was my biggest thing. All right. So let's let's dive into that for a second because I think there is a there's a, a really big important lesson in here. Yeah. So you come to America, you you survive the transition, and it is a transition moving away from your entire support system to a foreign country. It's not about the language, it's just about the entire environment changes on you. You obviously were successful, which means you had a certain amount of self-respect. You had a good self-image, but you allowed that to deteriorate. What happened? Why did you allow it to deteriorate? It's more than just the fact that you were lonesome. That's a very good question. Whenever I think back at it, I just start thinking as I, I start letting myself and my own opinions go and start respecting somebody else more because it was also a very manipulative relationship. So like if I did something or if I said something, you'd always start a fight. And before I was the person that I would shake if I would be, if I would have a fight and I would be, you know, like I would have anxiety attacks and I would faint. And instead of in order for me to avoid those, because I was also very alone, you know, and if in a new land and I thought that was like, it's okay, you know, you'll pass, you'll pass, always giving that excuse to a point that I just couldn't handle it anymore. And then when I would see how my friends would, you know, over their relationships would be, I'd be like, I'm missing that. And also that was my first relationship because I, mm, okay, yeah. And that's yeah. another thing too, because I knew I was going to come to America. So I didn't start a relationship in Albania at a young age. And then moving here, I was like, I need to settle in America. Last thing I need is a relationship. So I learned a lot from it. And that's another thing too, that I tell a lot of younger females is date as much as possible. So this way you can also find out, well, females and males. So date, so you really know what are your negotiables and non-negotiables for your own personal life. But So in your household, just I just want to stay on this for a yeah. second because there is something in here. When you were growing up, what oh, were you- Oh, perfect family. Yeah, perfect family. So yes. did anybody ever raise their voice? Absolutely not. We had okay. a perfect family. Yeah. So I come for, my parents are still together. They're high school sweethearts. They're best friends before everything we have, like they always have an open communication with one another. They, you know, always respect. There is no, like, I don't know if I ever seen my parents raise their voice at each other. It's always a sit down. Let's have a conversation. Now, there's, there's a, there's a really interesting dynamic and you might use this in, in your, in your negotiation classes and speaking with others that if you're raised in a family where the norm is for members of the family to have open conflict, but loving open conflict. So it's just, it's a style. So they get very emotional. They raise their voice, but it's not that they're fighting or that they don't agree with each other. It's just how they communicate. And then you take somebody from an environment where it's always relatively low key and you don't have that high level of emotion. The The second one feels that the first version of life is, is conflict. And they can't handle it because they're not used to somebody yelling and screaming. And what people tend not to realize is when they're raised in one family setting, that the other family setting isn't necessarily negative. It's just different. You have to understand what it's about, and then you can exist in it. And it sounds like you were kind of caught in that trap. Yes, that's a, never- that's a really great way to put it. I didn't think of it like that before. 
That's a really great way to put it. But another thing I know to say too, though, is I kind of put my life on hold because I was doing things that he would approve and I to like have the marriage continue, you know, fix the marriage because there were so many arguments. So another thing too that I felt like is I lost my identity of who I really wanted to do, like who I wanted to be or what I really wanted to do. So that was another thing too that I feel like now I'm in a whole new fresh air. And I'm not trying to say he's a bad guy. Like he, there would be a right person for him. It's just not me. Yeah, it's and just he, not you. Exactly. And he, like, he's not my right person and I'm not his right person. I wish him the best. Absolutely. I learned a lot from it, but I've learned a lot to how to just hold my own life and my own myself to another standard i would say towards how i even say my opinion or raise my voice when i really want to say something compared to before that i wouldn't have the courage to so take take that lesson take that life lesson do you apply that life lesson in your consulting practice to business oh now i do yes how now i do well there would be times with clients for example that it would be that would say no i would say like, hey, we need to change our marketing. We need to change X, Y, or Z. And they would say no. And I would break it down to them. I understand where you're coming from. And mind you, like the most of my clients are on their 50s and up. So it's a different generation too, because I'll be 29 soon. So I'm still in my late 20s. And I'll break it down to them in a very polite way, of course, to the point that they'll say, I see your, there sometimes they'll say, I see what you're saying, but I still don't agree. Or sometimes they'll say, I see your point of view. So instead of changing the whole thing, let's actually just change just this thing. When before I would be worried or scared to actually say my full opinion. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm explaining that correctly. No, you are. You, yeah. no, you, you, you are. You have a perspective. They have a perspective. Doesn't mean one is right and one is wrong. Correct. And before I would be worried of what somebody else is going to think also, because I got judged so much if I said my yes. opinion. Yes. So I kind of took that as that's going to be everybody's, you know, in every situation uh, where now as I still say my opinion, if you don't, if you take it personal, if I don't agree with you, then I'm sorry, we're just not having an open communication here. Right. But I'm willing to talk to every, you know, listen, hear you out and then you hear me out and then we can try to learn from each other too, even though we might have very different opinions. Yeah. Brian and I, when, when we started this, when we started One Broken Cog and, and we were trying to understand the the basic tenets of of the organization, the, the basic belief structure. One of the beliefs that we have and we we adhere to very strongly is that if if the prospect can't admit that they can at least be part of the problem, if not all of the problem, we can't do business with them. Yeah, and you have to have that open communication. You have to have that. You know, even if I'm if I'm doing something wrong, like call me out on it, and I'll very welcome that. You have to have that. Yeah, interesting. No, it's true. And you bring up a great point, John, even in relationships and people are, you know, it's all one side. You're in a heated argument or debate, you know, and you're just, you're all, you're firing it off at that other person and you don't stop to think about maybe, gee, what, what have I done here? You know, that ownership of it and to see, Hey, is there something I could have done differently and owning part of that, you know, sitting down and really hashing it out right after the emotion is gone. That's a great, great point. Ramina would love to know about when you did get married at such a young age. What was your parents' reaction? Were they supportive? Did they bring up any concerns they were supportive um <laughs> they were supportive i would say like 70 percent. they were not a big fan of him but they supported it because it was my decision 
they never told me no or they never told me exactly what they thought of him until I got divorced, which I was like, well, thank you guys. At this point, your opinion doesn't do nothing. So why didn't you tell me before? <laughs> you know, she like wouldn't listen. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. That's totally well, you me. have to have that conversation. I'm your child. You know, what's the, what what's the good of you telling me about a conversation you had with him before we even got married and you thought it was really like it was a big red flag. So what's the point of you telling me three years later? There's no point. So don't tell, don't even tell me. <laughs> but they supported it. Like I said, because I was it was my decision. They were not like fully on it. Uh, they're a lot happy. Like they see me now and they're a lot happier seeing me happy. Are they in the States or are they back home? No, they're in the States. Uh, they moved here two and a half years after I moved to America. I still lived in Illinois at the time. Yeah. And they moved to Florida and that's why I moved to Florida. To oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Okay. No, they're yeah, here. My whole, well, my parents and my brother is here. Um, the rest of the family is overseas, but just. Right. Them. Right. Okay. All right. That's great. So Romina now six, seven radius, right? When was that moment where you decided to start this business and how has it been going this far? Oh my goodness. So I work like we talked, I worked sales my whole life pretty much, but I did a change from sales to marketing project manager. I left the corporate world and I started working for a family owned company last year, but because of COVID, unfortunately I was let go. My job was primarily to do the marketing of live events and you know put everything together well COVID happened so there was no life events anymore therefore I was let go and well the first day I cried about it you know I was super upset this was a really big career change it was going to the direction that I wanted to but this was March of 2020 and actually the podcast launched June of 2019 so I kind of got lost in the podcasting world and one somebody that I interviewed actually was like, hey, I want to start a podcast. Can you like, can you like do the editing for me? And I was like, okay, I can do that. So he had me do the editing for him. And then he's like, hey, do you know how to do email marketing? Because I'm not really techie and also looking for a new person to do my a new website for me. Do you know how to do so? I was like, I know how to do that because I've taught myself how to do that before. So started little projects here and there. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm into something. And then another person asked me to add to their podcast and another person. So I'm like, okay, well, how about I start a business? And that's where six, seven radius was born. We started with small clients at first and throughout, you know, when COVID broke, everybody was on zoom. So through my connections, I always, you know, jump to any zoom meetings. They'll talk about sales and negotiations because I, I just love that area. And that's where I also ran into Philip Brown, the founder of the negotiation negotiation club. And throughout the negotiation role place, he's like, you're really into something. He's like, how do you feel about opening the Florida chapter? Well, there's two of us from Florida. So I opened the Northeast Florida chapter and another guy is opening the, the South Florida chapter. So this way we'd be able to manage, you know, two chapters in Florida. And really the business was born after COVID for me because I just kept pushing and kept trying to get somewhere and not just sit here and cry of what happened with my life because of COVID. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. What about, where were some early challenges you faced starting the business and how'd you overcome them? Oh my goodness. So early challenges, I would say number one, just trying to manage clients because I always worked with clients, but it was not like, I didn't do the accounting. I didn't do the, the secretary, the the operation, the sales, like I had a specific job. I didn't have many, like a lot of hats on. 
So it was uh, it was challenging at first to kind of think from accounting perspective or even knowing how much to you know to quote a client because whenever you work sales, typically you already have a set price for the sales that this is your M- MSRP, for instance, or this is your breaking your break-even point. You're gonna try to do more than this. So it was a struggle on its own just to learn also how to how much to quote clients per services. And a lot of a lot of new entrepreneurs struggle with it at first because they don't know how much to charge. They feel like if I anchor the price first, it might be too much. They might tell me no right away. But if I anchor too low, am I cutting myself short? So that was a process on its own to try to learn how much to quote, what's too high, what's too low as well. That's great. That's great. Do most people come to you for help with sales or is it more PR? It's both. Um, six, seven radius is branched in two. So one of them, it's sales and negotiations training. For example, we just finished with a, with a client. He reached out through podcasting connection again. He reached out. He's like, hey, I, I know you really good in sales. And, you know, I heard you talk in, in a meeting that we had. I really need help with, you know, uh, with my, my salespeople. So long story short, we end up helping, well, I end up helping him with his commission structure. He was overpaying his salespeople. I had to explain it to him, the sales professional, wh- how they take commission, how they think of it. Uh, why should you change it? Why should you pay, you know, less but increase the bonuses? So we did a whole commission structure, uh, restructure for him. And also the other part of the business is podcasting PR. So PR includes marketing, um, includes you know, podcasting includes them being exposed to more media channels as well. So it's the business is branched out into too many branches at the moment. I'm sure the salespeople really loved you after you got through with that group, huh? <laughs> well, no, they actually end up making a lot more money for the month. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, because their commission structure was set up in a way. So if you sell like my product, every month you're going to get, let's say, $500 for it, right? And then at the end of the year, you get $500 set for the year for uh, like every month, 500. Now, you know, for a fact that you're going to get $500 every month. So if you get like three or four sales, you're like, okay, I'm kind of sad. If you're, you want to put your standard at like three grand a month, I'm kind of sad. So you're really not going to work hard to get more sales. What we end up doing is increasing that upfront commission for them. So they, because every month, you know, clean slate a month, every month, the sales professional think they have to start from scratch. They have to start from zero. So long term, the salespeople now are making a lot more money in the monthly and uh, they are increasing the productivity, of, of course, also with the, the cross sales that they start doing too for another product that they're implying. So the sales professionals are making more money in the long term and they're more motivated to work because how it's structured. That's great. Great work. Do you think most salespeople and entrepreneurs that you work with struggle more with attitude or aptitude? I would say attitude personally, because a lot of people also let their personal life, which we are humans, we are emotionally wired to do so, but we are let our personal life get to our work or let like one, what one client told us, let us take to the other sale when you can have the worst day ever, but that one phone call you can, you know, you can make with a client can literally make your commission for the whole month, depending on what industry you work. So a lot of people lose attitude very easily, which in my head, I have this little chart stamped in my mind. 
that says, you know, an event is going to trigger either a positive or a negative emotion. And then the emotion is going to trigger thoughts and your thoughts are going to apply your attitude. So if you have a, a negative emotion, you're going to have a negative thought, you're going to have a negative attitude, and it's just going to be this going on cycle that is never going to be broken. Instead of thinking negative, try to stay neutral or positive, but try to stay neutral if something negative happens so you don't lose your attitude. There you go. It's awesome. Now, before we wrap up, we'd love to talk about your podcast. I know you started due to your anxiety, right? To overcome the anxiety. We'd love to know all the details about the podcast, why you started and how you did actually overcome your anxiety via the podcast. Yeah. So I used to work for a security system at the time that I launched my podcast and it was a lot of stories left and right, pretty much of how people broke into somebody's house or how people did X, Y, or Z. And I start having little flashbacks that I thought it was just dreams at first. So I start asking my family, hey, when I was younger, did this happen or did this happen? Well, in 1996, Albania was in a civil war and came to find out that I remember a lot of things that even my parents were shocked I remembered. And I just, it just started getting to me because I'm still trying to overcome this flashbacks that I'm having, number one. Number two, I keep hearing new stories every day. And also the company changed the discount promotional prices they were doing for the clients. And it was in such a way that you could be a loyal customer for 20 years and still be, you know, screwed over with a deal. And I just didn't find that morally correct. So even when I talked to the VP, he said, well, right now we don't really care. We're struggling with the finances. And I try to push it. I try to do different, you know, I try to, because I used to work with the marketing department too. I try to see other ways, especially for long-term clients, because I don't find it fair to treat a client that has been with you for five years the same as you treat somebody that has been with you for 20 years. At least my morals don't think that's correct. Well, that was a big push for a no. And it wasn't just to me, but it was, you know, top talent really like left the company at the time. So that started kicking in high emotions for me to the point that I would enter the building and my heart rate would go 110, 120, 130 right away. And I wasn't realizing it was happening for it. And at the same time, I did, I could not get promoted because I keep training people. I keep being the, the go-to person for training. I keep giving new ideas to the team and everything was being applied, but I was getting no credit. So everything piled up with my anxiety at that point. And I wanted a little runaway and I keep listening to podcasts. So I was like, why don't I start one? I have a lot of, you know, professional connections because I also do lead the Florida State College of Jacksonville, the Society of Human Resource Management, where we organize life events for the chapter. So I started reaching out to all my connections here in town and I launched the podcast. I mean, the podcast name at first was RM Podcast FL, the silliest name ever, but I wanted to do something and find a hobby and a little runaway. Well, little did I know the podcast would turn into a big project and I created an exit strategy to leave that company. Once I left the company, December 16, 2019, the same day I quit taking anxiety pills. And I have never taken anxiety pills ever since because I also took myself out of an environment that I didn't find it healthy for me. So again, kind of going back to that, respecting myself, if myself, if my opinion doesn't get hurt or if I don't feel like I'm welcome somewhere, I will create an access strategy and I will take myself in a different position where I can actually enjoy my happiness and my life. And why not launch a business <laughs> in, you know, as an exit plan, pretty much. That is awesome. I mean, it's been great 
So, John, and I, we just have one last question. It's a personal question just to get to know you just a little bit better. So you're going to move to your own private island, okay? You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? One book, one movie, and one island. No, one album. Like a music uh, one album. One album. Mm-hmm. Uh, one album, I would bring... The, I, I learned Spanish from watching TV, from this telenovelas. It's called Rebelde. RBD, they're kind of like my relaxing moment. Whenever I'm like really stressed out, I listen to their concert live. So I would do either their album or XO, the weekend album. Um, okay. One book, I would choose How to Make Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. Um, nice choice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I can always find friends in that book, even though I would be by myself. There you go. And one movie? Yes. Hmm. It's a tough one. Um, Men on Fire. Just Why? because. Why? Yeah, the ending <laughs> was so sad. Are you kidding me? That's a great uh, movie. Well, it's a really great movie. And I love the detective skills. And it's kind of like, it's a never ending roller coaster, I feel like. But, you know, unfortunately, at the end of the day, you know at the end of our life like we're going to pass away one point or another but if we go down like a legacy and we change other people's lives i think that's a that's a great way to go down at least in my opinion definitely definitely romina it's been awesome how do we get in touch with you how does our audience connect with you learn more listen to the podcast utilize your services absolutely so you can uh check out my website is connectwithromina.com or you can find me on social anywhere with connect with romina or you can Google Romina and then my weird long last name, but connect with Romina.com. You guys, it's the easiest way. Wonderful. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I would say you're, um, you're headed to a very nice life. You've hit some of the major challenges before you turn 30. You've handled them well. Very nice job. I wish you tremendous success going forward. Love to hear how you do from time to time. And uh, thank you for taking the time with us. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for having me. And thank you, John. I really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. And yeah, don't, don't, don't take any, any guy's bullshit. No, that's for sure. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I learned that the hard way, right? <laughs> yes, you did. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line. 